Thank you for joining with us for another episode of Morning Briefings here on the Pipeline Intercession for the President and on our podcast. If you have any dreams that you have about the office of the president, please send them to pip at christiancentershreveport.com. We're so thankful that you all have joined in with us on this prayer journey, and we look forward to standing with you not only today, but in the days ahead. So with that, we'll go ahead and join today's broadcast as we talk about the news and stand on the wall for this nation and the office of the president. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Zach Arskaden coming to you from wet and sloppy North Carolina as we're getting the uh, aftermath of Hurricane Nicole here in our region. And um, today we also want to celebrate and honor veterans um, for their service or Armistice Day as it originally um, was coined uh, back at the end of World War One. And we want to look at not only honoring and and thanking veterans, we also want to look at continuing on our journey of 2 Kings 22 and 23, of the story of Josiah. And look today, as we talked about yesterday, the extending the story and reestablishing and honoring the Lord through the establishment of of Passover in Israel at the time and what that meant for Israel. And so I'll pull it up here and just focus on 21 and 22 here. So we see after reading the pulling down of altars yesterday in from 4 to 20, in verse 21, it says, Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. Surely such a Passover has not been celebrated from the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, the Passover was observed to the Lord in Jerusalem. Now, a few things about that is before King Josiah had, you know, tore down, he plucked up and he replanted with the reestablishment of worship and now the reestablishment uh, of a covenant relationship with the Lord and a reestablishment of a celebration of the Passover in the lands of Israel and Judah, which verse 22 says was not done since the days of the judges or the king, nor the kings, which is quite interesting to see. Then you go on to see how he commanded all the people to do this would and, and celebrate this as he's leading the people and saying, Hey, This is what the book of the covenant is. We are a covenant nation with the Lord. Let's honor those covenants. Let's walk in those covenants. And that's why the Lord honored him. And and we've seen that um, earlier as the the prophet said there that the Lord would honor him and not let him go through um, the fruit of the past generations of those before him. Um, As after this passage here, that's where it gets. Um, in 24, it talks about, however, Josiah continued to remove uh, mediums and spiritus, um, all idols and abominations in the land of Judah, and, and really tearing it down and reestablishing the house of the Lord there. And then he eventually goes on um, to meet up with the Pharaoh, with Pharaoh at the time, but because of the provocations which Manasseh, the king before him, had provoked him, provoked the Lord, and the Pharaoh, Pharaoh at the time, uh, Pharaoh Nico, 
yes, Veronico of, uh, uh, of Egypt killed him during a meeting, and then the Babylon, siege to Babylon happened. And God had to restore some things there. And so, um, I want to make sure I read this right, is Chuck points out here in, in this prayer point for today to go along with this passage, is that once the thrones of iniquity is overturned, the throne of God must be established over an area. And that's what we see Saul Josiah doing in the things that he had done. And ultimately, God's... It, it, and ultimately, it transformed the area, and God's covenant established was established in the land. You, you pluck up and you replant it. Jeremiah talks about um, simple what Jesus would have also taught about is go and sin no more. Uh, you're healed. Go and sin no more. Uh, of reestablishing, of putting back into place um, what we should be doing. And ultimately, the prayer point is declare that the throne of God is established anew and afresh in your region as we go about dethroning the throne iniquities, starting off in our lives, and then in our families, our cities, our states, and hopefully the nation. Now, a long journey towards that. And I want to get to some things uh, internationally just to stay up to date with. I don't want to dive too deep in it as we still want to stay focused on some things here domestically as a lot has happened uh, really within the last uh, 12 hours. So we first see that Israel is and Netanyahu is set to be given a chance to form his own government. The meeting is set to go take place with President Herzog of Israel, where he will let Netanyahu know the mandate he's given the mandate to form a government on Sunday noon Israeli time. So during the middle of our night Saturday, going into Sunday, uh, they'll have that meeting, and then therefore Netanyahu has 28 days to form a government. It most likely it looks like he will, um, despite the reports that there's some some disputes going on in between uh, uh, Netanyahu's coalition. So and it's something to stay aware of there. Then involving um, Russia, U.S., and Ukraine, um, we've seen that Russia is pulling back in um, certain regions of Ukraine. Yesterday there was reports of an attack on a dam in Ukraine and this is why we want to pray for our administration with all the midterms and everything else going on. There is a interesting play being made by uh, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. And yes, he's asking for weapons from really everybody in the world. But he made this statement that uh, came out yesterday that he said that if Russia blows up the uh, Kovkot Dam, which is where Russia was trying to blow it up. Ukrainians were in a, a mad dash to prevent them from doing that. Zelensky said this. He said, it will declare war on the whole world. What does he mean by that? That's very alarming. Is he Something like that is trying to pull the world into another World War III. And the question is, is that what the Lord wants? And is that something our administration should be going along forward with? Despite every aspect of those on the right and or the left who are saying we don't want a war, you know, we want to stay away from warmongers, etc., which I totally get that. This administration is doing actually something wise in sending money and support to the Ukrainians. And that goes right along with prophetic that we and other people have had for quite some time now. And there's a new, as part of one of the new packages, the U.S. is sending um, what is called um, Avenger Air Defense System, 
as part of a $400 million package so that they announced uh, yesterday. So this is how they're playing it out. So we want to continue to pray for Anthony Blinken, military leaders, to have the fear and wisdom of the Lord, and, and maybe it's just a blind uh, um, wisdom that they're having, that the Lord's just guiding them through this. And then the question is, what do we do in the days ahead if this goes on? Uh, the, there are some people who are like, oh, look, Ukraine's winning, Russia's pulling back. But this is twofold. One, it's it's about to be winter in that region of the world, and nobody in their right mind would want to fight a war during the winter. And Russians, just they don't. They've always pulled back in history when it gets cold, and, and so they're doing that now. Two is the fact that not only are they pulling back because they want to keep morale high and not fight in winter, they're also going with a strategy of um, suicide drones, which if you can send a piece of metal that's flying above people to do your dirty fighting and not lose lives, keep morale high, in this instance, why wouldn't you do that? And now the leader of Russia, Russian forces, he did this in Syria, and so he's doing it here in Ukraine. So that's where we're at there. Again, something to stay up to date on, be aware of uh, during all this craziness and chaos because our administration does as well. And so we want to pray for them and guide them, even whether we agree with them or not, we're still called to pray for our leaders. Now, in some good news domestically is in a very, very, very strong rebuke of this administration, um, U.S. District Judge out of Texas, Mark Pittman, rebuked the Biden administration saying that uh, their declaration and really executive order to give student loan forgiveness bailouts is 100% illegal. And I want to read this from his ruling. Is that he said, the court is not blind to the current political division in our co country, but it is fundamental to the survival of our republic, not our democracy, that the separation of powers as outlined in our constitution be preserved. And having interpreted the HEROES Act, which is what the administration is trying to use as their quote-unquote authority given to them by Congress, which is not how that is interpreted, not how anybody ever intended for that, how that to come out to be used. The court holds that it does not provide clear congressional authority authorization for the program proposed by the Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardonas. Before that, he had quoted the Federalist Papers, uh, which is quite interesting, um, basically, separation of powers. And, and he even goes on to use um, Nancy Pelosi's statement of the president doesn't have the authority to do this. So in a very, very strong rebuke, the Biden administration is somewhat put in its place. Now, will they appeal this? Will it eventually go to the Supreme Court? Most likely. Um, they're not going to give up. They're going to force the courts to rule against them. Um, they're going to force the courts to say, no, you can't help the American people in their eyes, which you may be helping small portions of the the populace. You're also hurting a massive majority of the populace if this were to allow to go forward uh, on supposedly helping people. But then also the fact of you are completely overstepping your bounds um, as the president of the United States, uh, as a leader of this nation in in just declaring you can do whatever you want. So um, a very positive um, holding of the courts and actually upholding um, the separation of powers and the fact that 
acknowledging that we are a republic and not a democracy. Now, on the flip side, there's another case to be fully aware of, is that this, the Biden administration, in the case of trying to get the IRS to hand over Trump's tax audits from 2015 to 2022, they are demand, really demanding that the Supreme Court, um, in a case where John Roberts has put a stay and forced the government to ask and, and to tell Trump and the court why they need these documents, despite the fact that they say they need it to be able to analyze what new, how new audits needed to go moving forward, which if that's the case, why not go after Obama's IRS do documents or Clinton's or Bu former President Bush's, both of them? If you want to look at a president's audits the IRS already has to determine how to move forward, why does it have to be Trump if that's your case? And the Biden administration has specifically gone to the Supreme Court um, and told them that they need to stay out of this basically and they need to let us do what we need to do. And again, this goes to a separation of powers issue and one person to pray for in this, it's the golden court case, is John Roberts. He is the one who put on the stay. He was forcing the government to give a response to the Trump team, lawyers, etc. And he will be the one most likely to rule on this by himself. Should this go to the full court, it's up to Roberts. Like he has the full authority to do this. But it is interesting to see that that the um, the executive branch is trying to um, usurp itself. And tell the judicial branch what to do. This goes back to the same case before the student loan forgiveness of separation of powers. So hopefully Roberts can can see clearly um, and prevent that from happening. And it's not just about whether a the House and Ways and Means Committee, who is asking for this, should have these documents. It's about whether the Biden administration has the authority to tell the judicial branch what to do. And that would be a great, great um, disservice to the separation of powers here in this nation and how our nation was founded. Now, moving on into the meat of what we want to talk about today. So some, some things have somewhat come down over the last 24 hours as Bobart, Lauren Bobart in Colorado was down 64 votes. And as of right now, she is up by a little bit over 1,000 votes over 50%, and she declared last night that she is the winner. Again, obviously, the authorities, um, those who are involved in counting this, will be the final determinant on that. But it looks like Lauren Bobart will hold that seat. Um, you also have, and this is interesting, what's going on in Arizona, is you still have Lake and Masters down by... A, Lake Morse, uh, Masters, excuse me, down by a significant amount. Um, it doesn't look like he will win or have a chance of coming back to winning. Lake does. There are, Lake and Masters and Republicans are, are saying that there is estimated upwards of 340,000 votes, early ballots that have not been counted yet because the Maricopa, Maricopa County Board of Officials know what supposedly this is their, what, Lake and Republicans are saying that they know the outcome and they don't want to vote. They don't want to see the outcome of that. Uh, some instances also are saying that about what's happening in Nevada. But the the interesting thing here is that when you look at these vote totals, 
of some of these counties, Maricopa County, 40%, Flagstaff County, 41%, um, Pima County, 39%. This is what's being reported um, by Decision Desk HQ. 40%. The highest is like 50%, I think, in one of the, one or two of the counties. Yeah. In, in um, Yavapi County, I probably butchered that, but 52.53%. Like, there, there's, why is this taking so long? Is less than like two million votes, and and you can't count this. Uh, um, one point two million votes, estimated forty one percent. Huge. The longer this goes on, the more problematic and the more questions people will have. Also, the given fact is that uh, they're not counting votes today. It's Veterans Day. They took the day off. They're not counting votes. The, the Maricopa County Board of Officials even said, "Look, this is going to go on into next week." Alaska's. Uh, I forgot to mention this yesterday. Alaska's rank and file system of how they vote, the next tabulation will not take place. Not that they're not counting it, is that they're refusing to even consider counting it until November 23rd. The election was November 8th. They're not even going to consider doing the second tabulation because nobody won in the first tabulation until November 23rd. Why can't that be done now? Huge question. And then there's. A question of, okay, if nobody wins in that tabulation, gets to 50%, how long is it going to be before you do the third tabulation? And um, there is a report and, and analysis by Victor Davis Hansen. If you, you know him, he's a conservative think tank um, historian uh, out of corruption that's very very interesting perspective. I, I um, might somewhat agree with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we have to be careful with what we say here. But he points out is even with the fact of you have these problems is the American people and the leadership within the Senate, the House, and whatever needs to look at the effects. We, we've had two elections now. The effects of the mail-in balloting. The effects of rank-and-file voting, which are causing problems in Alaska. Something to look at. He also points out, he says, he says, you know, everybody wants to say it was total messaging, bad messaging from Republicans, and that's part of it that played into it. But he also says is it was good messaging by Democrats and the Biden administration to fearmonger people on the fact of losing democracy in the dark if, if you don't win in this election. Democracy will be lost, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. When you have a populace of people who potentially could vote for you, um, put fearmongering. Um, and then really a house divided on the Republican side uh, with Trump attacking DeSantis did not help. And so all those things, abortion and all that stuff, kind of played into part of why you see it. Um, and then some questions come up with, as we've pointed out yesterday, the leadership within the Republican Party. Now, with all that being said, there is no, and we won't know possibly for a month, maybe six weeks, maybe two months, unfortunately, which is highly just undisastrously uh, problematic, or more so disastrously problematic, I should say. And so this puts a pause on the vote for leadership in the House, and there's a question of whether Kevin McCarthy should be the leader of the House if the Republicans get the majority. I'm going to squash that, um, not for the sense that I think he's the best person, but for this aspect and this aspect alone. There is Guy uh, Rashlenther, a Republican from Pennsylvania, who suggests that anybody casting doubt that McCarthy won't be leadership or that there is somebody else who would um, is ultimately saber-rattling, and he says this quote. He says, he, 
He, speaking of Kevin McCarthy, is our best strategist. He's our best fundraiser. That right there alone is why McCarthy, fortunately, unfortunately, however you look at it, will most likely win. He's our best recruiter. If it weren't for Kevin's efforts, we wouldn't be back in the majority. So I just feel like he's going to get the gavel. And the question is, who who's going to be put in, replace him? That's the huge, whether you agree with how he handled this election, how he's going to handle things afterwards, unfortunately, this is the reality of things. Now, something to also consider is that as we wait for the fallout of what could possibly happen with this election, don't forget that now you have, since this election's over, you have a lame duck Congress and a lame duck Senate who still has the authority to pass things. So the prayer would be is that hopefully with all this chaos in the election, they stay focused on the election and don't get anything done and pass any bills and laws that they said they were going to pass, increase budgets, increase spending and all that stuff. That would be the prayer, <laughs> that they stay focused on this and don't actually focus on on destroying this country even further. Despite what the quote-unquote good economics number said, um, which Janet Yellen actually came out and said, well, they look good for now, but uh, don't 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 hold your breath on that one because it's not going to look good in the future. That's from Janet Yellen, Secret, uh, Secretary of Treasury. So very interesting. All right. Now an issue that I think you've all been waiting for and something we really, really need to keep our emotions in check. I and we here are seeking the Lord is the best way about Obviously, the next election, being that we're praying for the office of the president, both parties, Republican and Democrat, will have to determine who to put forward. If Biden is put forward, okay, you have that. But on the Republican side, you have a possibility of DeSantis and a possibility of Trump. And last night, Trump did not help his case to say the least. You had bad Trump come out last night. And in a statement on Truth Social, um, he put out, and I think it was a uh, email as well, he came out and attacked DeSantis, saying that if it weren't for me, DeSantis wouldn't be winning, that um, everybody, you know, the Swamp and McConnell and blah, 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 and all this stuff, they, they've gone for DeSantis, because he stands in my way. And really, when you read the letter, Trump just wants DeSantis to say, I'm not running, period. And because there's a understanding that Trump's favorite president was Teddy Roosevelt. If you remember, Teddy Roosevelt is, he was president, then he decided not to run, maybe got it back in and then tried to try to run um, later and ended up losing. And he, it looks like Trump's trying to avoid that a little bit um, in a natural sense. And so we're seeing this attack, which is, and DeSantis is actually handling this very well by literally just not saying anything. But the problem here is this helps only Trump's and Trump with his base. And in this instance, Trump needs not only his base, but he needs your more um, GOP-established Republicans in the 2024 election. You're going to need 
the moderate independents, the moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats, and even some Democrats who might say, hey, these policies by the Biden administration are horrible, and I would vote for somebody else if you put somebody else up there. And now you're seeing people like a Winsome Sears out of Virginia who is a veteran who is probably more aligned with the GOP than with the Trump part of the Republican Party. And so this does not help Trump when somebody like that stands against Trump immediately. And and some of the attacks on DeSantis are, are just horrible. He's, I made him. It's like, it's like DeSantis should be worshiping him, thanking him for helping him. And in reality, if you look at how DeSantis is ruling, he's proving that Trump's policies are correct. That if you stand up to the media, if you speak truth to power, and if you give the power back to the people of what it can do to not only your state but your economy, and attacking DeSantis is no good for Trump, unfortunately. Now, whether I fully support Trump or fully support DeSantis, again, I'm seeking the Lord for that. And you're seeing people make an idol out of one or the other and saying, well, I support him. Um, everything DeSantis is doing is getting in line with uh, McCarthy and Jeb Bush and all this stuff. And they, they supposedly made some deal. Prove it. Like there is no evidence of that whatsoever. And, and, and it's sad to see this. Is at a time where you could possibly – Trump. this is – in my belief, this is what Trump should be saying. He should be saying, look at DeSantis. Look at how great Florida is. Look at what happens when a governor – in a state, goes with the policies of putting Americans first, and in this case, putting Floridians first. Now let's do that for the rest of the nation. But no, he's attacking him for whatever reason, because he won't say he's not running. And there's a huge question, and I've said it here and I'll say it again, is there's a huge question of whether DeSantis will fully run. From being on the inside of politics for quite some time is... You have to remember, DeSantis has three young children, and his wife is just coming off of recovering from breast cancer. They, as a family, have a decision. Okay, they're governor. They're getting attacked. It's small scale. But if you go run for president, it amplifies by a thousand, maybe even a million percent, the pressure, the knowledge of everything, the, the being away from family. As their kids are in their prime, as they will be in their prime, middle, like young age, do they want to be away from that? That's a decision that has, has yet, I think, to be asked by any political pundit. Because people tend to just go purely political and, and forget about the realities of these situations. Has Trump himself, hey, does that, are you going to run? Like, let me know. Like, I think you would be a great successor towards me because you're doing a great job in Florida. Rather than attacking him, oh, it's just Florida, it's sunshine, rainbows, and because of me, this is why he's here. Like, that does no good. And so this is a time to put our emotions aside and seek the Lord on what should happen. Is Trump going to be vindicated? Is he going to be put back in? There's going to have to be some repentance, just as there would be some repentance from us if we did something like that in our jobs, in our lives, in our families. And so we just I want to take a humble response Um and a reverent response toward this action response by President Trump, former President Trump, and, and on, towards DeSantis. DeSantis is playing this wise. Govern your state. There's there's a hurricane. He can't worry about this right now. He's he's worrying about recovering from the, the the hurricane. Very smart move. 
maybe because that's he's focusing on that and he's wanting to rule. And Trump may very well open the door for DeSantis to possibly run. And if he attacks him again, how much more of those who possibly would have and did in the past vote for Trump or might now independents and Democrats now cast himself aside? Okay, I don't want to end on that. I want to end on uh, some very positive notes. Out of all of this, midterms and you know the red wave and things and how it didn't come to pass because that's not how things work in politics, unfortunately. When you have this swamp of an environment in politics. But something good that really did happen. And uh, we mentioned it Wednesday night on our Wednesday night service, but I want to highlight it here. Is that through all of this, U.S. Senate, U.S. House races, this stuff is going on. You have on the local level, and this is where it's going to start, have to start, is that school boards where organizations who are focusing on giving back rights over education to the parent and taking it away from the government and the state, the city, local municipalities, whatever, are starting to show to be effective. That's how Virginia was able to flip red from blue because they focused on protecting the innocents um, in the school board sense. And there's two organizations I want to highlight. The 1776 Project Pact, or 1776 Project, to circumvent the 1619 Project, and then an organization called Moms for Liberty, who have gotten started to get involved at a grassroots level in the school board in working with people to run for school board who want to get back to forcing schools to teach reading, writing and arithmetic and not this woke lgbtq plus agenda and they're becoming more and more successful at, at local levels in miami-dade and in dallas and in texas they're flipping boards from this crazy ideology to giving the power back to the parents and so that is a very very positive thing and then on the day celebrating veterans day i want to read um, two parts of a speech, two speeches, parts, parts of two speeches from uh, former President Dwight Eisenhower in response to um, veterans and some wisdom that they can give us. In 1954, uh, February 7th, he spoke about a program called Back to God, uh, American Legion's Back to God program, where veterans were getting involved with bringing about awareness of God to the populace based off of some of their experiences they had in battle. And he said this, he said, as a former soldier, I am delighted that our veterans are sponsoring a movement to increase our awareness of God in our everyday lives. In battle, they learn a great truth that there is no atheist in the foxholes. They know that in time of test and trial, we instinctively turn to God for new courage and peace of mind. All the history of America, America bears witness to this truth out of faith in God and true faith and through faith in themselves as his children, our forefathers designed and built this republic. He goes on. We remember the picture of the father of our country on his knees at Valley Forge, seeking divine guidance in the cold gloom of a bitter winter. Thus, Washington gained strength to lead to independence, a nation dedicated to the belief that each of us is divinely endowed with indestructible rights. 
We remember, too, that three-fourths of a century later on the battle-torn field of Gettysburg and in the silence of many wartime night, Abraham Lincoln recognized that only under God could this nation win a new birth of freedom. Today, as then, there is need for positive acts of renewed recognition that faith is our surest strength, our greatest resource. This Back to God movement is such a positive act as we partake in it. I hope that we shall prize this thought. Whatever our individual church, whatever our personal creed, our common faith in God is a common bond among us. In our fundamental faith, we are all one. Together, we thank the power that has made and prevented us, uh, preserved us a nation. By the millions, we seek prayers, we sing hymns, and no matter what their words may be, their spirit is the same. In God is our trust. And then later on in February, February 20th, the next year, 1955, he goes on to say this. He said, the founding fathers expressed in words for all to read the ideal of government based upon the dignity of the individual. The ideal pre previously had existed only in the hearts and minds of men. They produced the timeless documents upon which this nation is grounded and has grown great. They recognize God as the author of individual rights, declared that the purpose of government is to secure those rights. To you, to me, this ideal of government is self-evident truth. But in many lands, the state claims to be the author of human rights. The tragedy of that claim runs through all history and indeed dominates all our own times. If the state gives rights, it can and eventually will take away those rights. And without God, there could be no American form of government, nor any American way of life. Recognition of the supreme being is the first and foremost basic expression of American Americanism. And in closing says this, he says, thus the founding father saw it, and thus, with God's help, it will continue to be. It is significant, I believe, that the American Legion and the Organization of War Veterans has seen it to conduct a back-to-God's movement as part of its Americanism program. Veterans realize, perhaps more clearly than others, the prior, prior place that Almighty God holds in our national life. And they can appreciate through personal experience that the re really decisive battleground of American freedom is in the hearts and minds of our own people. Each day we must ask, that Almighty God will set and keep his protection hand over us so that we may pass on to those who come after us the heritage of a free people, secure in their God-given rights and in full control of government dedication, dedicated to the preservation of those rights. Powerful words spoken and none more truer now than ever from President Dwight Eisenhower. So I want to end on that positive note as we keep our emotions in check over this weekend and over the next few weeks as it looks like this will be uh, how long it will take and, and especially with the runoff in Georgia it is a time to pray to seek the Lord um, now as we, we, we wait unfortunately the final results of the election from this past Tuesday and for the coming now um, ramping up of presidential season election uh, as we near towards 2024, but we want to stay focused on why the Lord has us here and not only honoring the Lord and reestablishing his covenants here in this nation, but 
to reestablishing a heart of the people, hopefully heart of the people, to understand that it's not just about our nation. It's so that souls can be saved in our nation and we can spread the gospel of the kingdom to the nations. So with that, I close. Hopefully you guys have a great rest of your weekend and I will see you guys later. Have a good one.